0: Thank you for tuning in to the WHAM podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to the Riveting Exchanges podcast. I'm Andrea Olson, and I'm here with my co-host, Desiree Grace. And today we're talking about communication again, and we're talking specifically about verbal communication in business and how you can really optimize your verbal communication to help you succeed we all know that there's different types of verbal communication and we know some of those stereotypes. We're going to go over a lot of that. We're going to go over a lot of the basics on how to improve your verbal communication and then some techniques and tips to avoid some traps. Desiree, anything else we should let our listeners know about? You know, we're
1: going to talk a lot, Andrea, about self-awareness and really monitoring and listening to yourself And even a willingness to ask people, how am I coming across? So I think one of the things you can do to help yourself improve, aside from listening to our podcast, of course, Mm -hmm. is asking somebody you trust to give you feedback on how the audience is receiving you. You know, are you too preachy? Are you too professorial? Are you talking down to people? Uh, Do you come off as insecure, arrogant, whatever? It's it's always a good idea to seek feedback and try really hard to be self-aware. For example, if you notice your audience is slipping or getting bored or hitting the old cell phone to check Facebook, you know Mm -hmm. that you've got to up your game and get them engaged. But hopefully... Some of the things we're going to talk about will help with that. That's the idea here at Riveting Exchanges
0: Podcast. So, gee, where do we want to start? You make a good point to start off with with that self-awareness, but, you know, maybe that's, that's the first question is, do you know yourself and your verbal communication style? Because we're all familiar with a bunch of those stereotypes that we deal with in the workplace and even outside the workplace, like those people that... When they talk to you, they're not looking at your face or your eyes. They're looking at your chest. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Right? That's always uncomfortable. Uh, The close talker that's, you know, in that personal bubble, they're always a little awkward, and, and they don't realize they're doing it oftentimes. The interrupter, you know, you start a sentence, and then they're jumping in right in the middle and just kind of taking it away. You know, what other stereotypes have you come across, Desiree?
1: Well, we have the folks that like to talk over everybody else. Oh, yeah. Like the mansplaining kind of thing. The verbal version of mansplaining. Exactly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and, and it's second cousin, the conversation dominator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all about their vacation, their strategy, their ideas. Yeah. that That's the guy or gal usually a guy but not always who basically takes over the entire meeting even if they're not the host. Yeah. We have the po- we we have the polar opposite of that though, which is the mute and their second cousin, the deliberately non-responsive, usually also associated with the arm-crossed body language.
0: Yes, yes, it's super frustrating especially if you're trying to get something accomplished and they're just Avoiding, you know, they're avoiding engagement, what in, in total.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, women sometimes face the conundrum of if you're too assertive, you know, you get that bossy stereotype. But if you're too mm-hmm. nice, you're not assertive enough, you know, certainly being too much of a girly girl, you know, talking in a soft, wispy voice. Things like mm-hmm. that can incredibly undermine your credibility, but there, there's also that fine line on, um, and, you know, there there's also a school of thought, don't apologize for being assertive because if you do, you're just playing into the stereotype that being a leader or quote unquote, being bossy is bad.
0: And if you're a leader right. in the workplace, you're a leader. Right. Right. You should embrace that role. And, you know, I think people get assertive and confident mixed up. Yes, that you can be confident. And that doesn't mean you have to be domineering. It doesn't mean you have to be a bully. It doesn't mean, you know, someone would say you're too assertive. You want to get to that point where you say, hey, that person is confident. They are confident solid leader. And that's really a big key of verbal communication is how you execute that.
1: Exactly. And you can execute that by a variety of things, your tone of voice, your pitch. Mm -hmm. You know, I find that when I'm in a serious conversation and I'm really trying to get a message across, I deliberately lower my, my pitch or my tone a little bit so that it it goes to that lower register. There's Mm -hmm. speed, you know, you can talk slow, talk fast. What's your volume? And there are cases where you need to project, you know, maybe you're in a meeting room and there's eight rows of people. Right. Other things you can look at are language, you know, do you use good vocabulary Do you maybe want to come across as uh, one of the guys? I mean, what are
0: your thoughts on that, Andrea? You know, I I think that a, a technique that we often use and sometimes forget about is that whole mirroring modeling. So if you're in an environment, let's say, where you're in church, there is a specific tone and verbal behavior that's expected versus out at the bar having a beer with your friends. And so it's not only understanding what language to use and how to use it in the environment but then a bit of mirroring to those people you're speaking with because everyone feels complimented when you mirror their behavior. It is a is a natural way of giving someone that that little boost. So that modeling, knowing your audience and adapting to them and what what they need and want is, is critical. Just really important. And it's an easy thing to do. It's a very easy thing to do. You know,
1: that's true. And also, it's a very subtle way of relating to your audience and telling them that, that you understand, that you've listened and you've responded in kind
0: to the right. way
1: they are expressing themselves.
0: You no, know, I think coupling that, I, I think coupling yeah. that is asking a lot of questions as well. I think those two things go part and parcel. You know, you're, you're listening not just to understand what someone's saying, but to understand the meaning behind what they're trying to communicate. And if you don't understand that, if you're not totally clear, it's important to ask probing questions. Some, sometimes people feel that's a sign of weakness. But I, I personally believe it's not. It shows engagement. It shows that you are committed to trying to understand what that person's telling you. And it shows a level of not only confidence, but but caring about what that other person is saying. And so they're going to listen to you even more when you speak, if you show that level of engagement. I, I agree.
1: And I think to correspond with that also, nothing wrong with saying, hey, I wanna recap what you just said to make sure I got everything. Or let me do a gut check here and tell you what I understand about what you just told me and make sure I got it right. Because to your point, you're showing that level of engagement and caring. And it's a very simple thing to, to listen and ask those probing questions. And then take it the next step further and say, okay, what I understood was X, Y, Z. That is an excellent way to,
0: to test for understanding. Right, right. It's an underutilized technique. And I think a lot of people focus too much on what they're trying to say next versus getting the information they need to respond more effectively.
1: Very true. And I think... Corresponding with that is, and and I think people tend to be more guilty of this if they're nervous or they're not self-aware, yeah. but rushing to fill a pause in the conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. Yeah. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with a little silence. It could indicate that, hey, I'm really thinking about what you just said it was important. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're in a, a charged situation where you need to choose your next words carefully, but leaving the silence can also in a very subtle way,
0: be a little bit of a power play. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, if you think of some, you know, very well-known national leaders you know, they use silence as a power tool. They use it to control the room and control people's attention because you'll find someone else is going to try to fill those gaps naturally. And they're going to kind of stream off into an area that maybe they're giving more information than they should, or they start not looking as professional because they're uncomfortable and awkward. So not that you should use it in that way all the time, but, there is nothing wrong with sitting in silence for a moment. It's, it's not a sign of weakness. It's definitely a way to project more confidence, actually. Yes. And
1: sometimes if you're in a negotiation, deliberately waiting and letting the other person be the first one to break that pause can yep. be a subtle way of asserting a slight upper hand in a negotiation. You know, and I'm not saying that you want to use it as a power play to to say, you know, I'm the dominant, I'm the alpha, but particularly in a negotiation, just sitting there and
0: being comfortable with the silence. Use it if you need to. You know, there there's nothing wrong with it as long as you're not abusing it. Exactly. Exactly.
1: You know, there's so many tools available to us. There are things like, you know, using acronyms or slang to demonstrate that you understand or you get a a certain industry or a certain subculture. There's Mm -hmm. um, in a variety of businesses or different industries, there's acronyms. And if you know what they mean and you understand them, you're kind of demonstrating insider status. You're demonstrating that you're part of the the group. You've got enough expertise. You know, if I throw out SLA, somebody in customer service is going to understand that to be service level agreement. But on the flip side, maybe my audience isn't part of the in-group. Maybe you're onboarding new employees. Maybe you're meeting with a new vendor. In that case, using acronyms and slang Is actually exclusionary and rude. And you don't want to do that
0: either. Right. No, and I personally come across this many times because we serve in our organization so many industries. And, you know, you take SLA, CRM, MRP, MEP, any of those, it doesn't matter what the letters are. But there are so many times where the same letters in the same order will mean something completely different to a different industry. So you're in meeting A or meeting B, and these two people aren't in the same industry, start using these acronyms, and the communication immediately breaks down because people make assumptions of, oh, they mean this, but they actually mean that. And to your point, it's not communicating for understanding. It's shortcutting it. You know, if you're using that information in a context where your audience knows it and you know they know it you got to be darn sure. Otherwise, I think it's incredibly important to spell it out. You can use the acronym and then define it or skip it altogether. But, you know, using these terms sometimes actually outside of a position of dominance or I'm an expert, it, it, it distances you from who you're speaking with. And you have to have a strategy of what you're trying to do in that communication. Are you trying to distance yourself or are you trying to bring them closer?
1: in most instances you generally are wanting to engage with whoever whether it's one on one small group or an actual audience you're wanting to engage with people have a conversation right. you you want to establish rapport and right. you know another way to do that is to have kind of a list of safe topics i know you and i have both agreed in the past that we think it's, it's best to avoid topics like sex, politics, religion, and money.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Those are kind of a no-go, particularly in a professional setting. Even if you're at lunch or dinner with a good customer, those are not good places to go. You could inadvertently step on a landmine, offend Mm -hmm. someone, potentially even hurt someone. And of course nobody deliberately wants to do that. So do you do you have a strategy Andrea for conversational or safe topics? Do you have something in your back pocket you always like to use when you're maybe in that formal informal sort of no man's
0: land? That's a great question because it used to be incredibly difficult. I would go in feeling quite intimidated and feel like I have to generate some small talk and I would somewhat desperately try to find topics that I assumed would be important, relevant, funny, etc., And it never, ever went the way that I planned it in my head. So what I actually found was the easiest solution that cost the least amount of mental anguish and time was finding out, making up three questions in my head. And one would be relevant to what we were going to talk about. And that might be their business. That might be what they're trying to accomplish. It's, it's a probing question that gets me to where, you know, I wanna have the conversation on anyway. But secondly, anything that is relevant that reflects your awareness of the community, the environment, the space that that person lives in. So for example, Here in the Midwest, we've been having some major snowstorms and ice storms.
1: And if I'm talking
0: to a client that is living that same pain, it's a relevant topic that is you know, not how's the weather, wow, it's pretty cruddy, but you can talk about something like shoveling out uh, three feet of snow out of your driveway, that they are probably going to have that same challenge. But if I'm talking to a client that's in California, needed to complain about the weather isn't relevant to them right? So that I might switch the subject to something totally different that I know is going on in their area, city, region. And that's just paying attention to the news. That's just paying attention to their business. Oh, I saw that your stock went up two points, you know, things like that. It's just having enough of an understanding about that person to start the conversation off with something that they care about. You
1: know, that's a good point. Two things that have worked for me I travel a lot for work. So I actually like to listen to the local news
0: when mm, yeah. I'm in a
1: given market because that tells me a little bit about what might be going on, whether I'm in Dallas or Denver, getting some sense of what's going on in the local community. That can be, for the most part, a safe topic. And some things do have an impact on business. You know, your conversations about weather. You know, what is that doing to your lead times? Are you having logistical challenges? What are your employees doing? That can allow you to demonstrate an appreciation for someone's work challenges. But the other thing I like to do, and partly because my role, there is a social component where you might be having cocktails at a convention or you might be taking someone out to lunch or dinner. And maybe you don't want to spend the whole time talking about the conference or the convention or work. I, I have a couple questions I always keep in my back pocket, you know, one of which is work-related, which is, you know, what are your plans for the year, the quarter, the month? What are you looking at from a growth standpoint? What's keeping you up at night? Things in that vein to have a greater understanding of their business challenges But then on on a personal level, I always like to ask people, what do you like to do for fun when you're not working? And that is always really interesting because there are a lot of truly fascinating people out there. Yeah, I I have a a gentleman I work with. He's a big game hunter and he travels all over the world and now, hunting is not everybody's bag, but it's, it's fascinating to hear his perspective and his adventures and see the excitement when he talks about that. And it makes sense because this particular gentleman I'm thinking of started his own business. He's an entrepreneur. Clearly, his competitive streak <laughs> extends to other areas of his life. And, sure. you know, that gives me insight. I mean, this man is a hunter at work. And in his personal life, when you ask Hmm. those kinds of open-ended questions, if you can get the other person talking, you know, you mentioned earlier, sometimes looking for topics. Sometimes if you can get them to talk, it can be an incredibly insightful conversation. And circling back to what we started the podcast on, the power of listening asking those probing questions and getting to know people a little bit on a personal level, it can demonstrate good verbal communication skills by asking questions, showing genuine interest and listening.
0: Outside of those probing questions, do you feel like there are other physical things specifically in the verbal space that you could do to build that connection further? You know, we talked about, tone of voice, but what do you think about eye contact? You know, is there, is there not enough too much, you know, I think people that make intense eye contact really get further, but it can be really intimidating to do that.
1: I think you have to take your cues off the person you're communicating with. You know, it's very interesting and and some of this is cultural and some of it is just comfort level. You can make eye contact with someone and when they're uncomfortable, they'll shift their eyes away. So that can tell you if, hey, this is too much eye contact. Or Mm -hmm. there may be a case if if we've got our chest lookers, you may deliberately work very hard to have eye contact with that individual. And, you know, it's interesting, depending on on the type of conversation you're having is it a negotiation? Is it a get-to-know-you conversation? Is it a persuasive conversation? Is it a teaching moment? And and I could go on and on. I think that also has an impact on how much eye contact is appropriate.
0: Right. Well, what about personal space? Kind of going to the chest looker. And the clothes talker, what about that physical proximity? Do you have any thoughts on what's close or too close or, or too far? I mean, I'm I have a, a bit of a French, German, Scottish ancestry. So for me, you know, that arm's length typically is the most comfortable. But sometimes, you know, it is important to be a little bit more physically within the space. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I'm kind of with you. I think in a professional environment, in the US at least. A foot is about right. There are some colleagues. I'm thinking of one gentleman in particular I worked with in Europe who liked to get up close when he was having a conversation. I don't think it was a dominance thing or a sexual thing. I think it was just cultural and to some degree enthusiasm for the subject matter. You know, Mm -hmm. clearly, if you're in a crowded room and you've got something somewhat confidential, hey, did you hear so-and-so supplier is on the verge of bankruptcy? You know, obviously, Mm. you don't want to shout that to the entire room. But, you know, I I have done the dance where the other person takes a step forward, I take a step backward. Yeah. You you know, and you realize, okay, we're doing the dance. It's like a tango. Right. Oh, yeah. And... And
0: you know, Sometimes you feel frustrated when they're not picking up on the, I'm stepping back. I'm continuing to sit back, <laughs> you know, almost out the door in a sense. Oh, yeah.
1: That's a case where that person is not self-aware and they are not picking up on nonverbal cues or else they're modeling in the wrong way. You know, modeling and being a chameleon, I think you, you do have to be careful too not to overuse it because then it's completely insincere. There has to be a real element to it. And you know, we're taught in sales also to use somebody's first name a lot. We we've all been in that situation where we can tell, okay, somebody read sales manual 101 and they're repeating my first name, you know, once every five sentences.
0: Yeah, then you're you're like, "Oh, this is not genuine." <laughs> <laughs> because at the end of the day, communication,
1: whether it's verbal, nonverbal, a combination, it it still has to come from a genuine place. You know, you're genuinely interested in learning about your supplier or your customer or your coworker, or you're not.
0: And I, I think people do sense insincerity. Sure they do. Sure they do. You know, even if, as we try to hide it, or we're trying to be overly polite or overly thorough. People can sense this overly structured situation. You know, and that brings me to the question of icebreakers, verbal icebreakers. And one of the topics that we had discussed was foul language. You know, not extreme foul language, but just the little spotty light things that, you know, you might get away with on some television shows you know, it, it can kind of diffuse a, a situation, but then also there's times where it's inappropriate. Um, with the close talker that you keep stepping away from, you might want to actually use foul language just to address the situation, but is that appropriate? And and what are your thoughts on, on when and where to use that, if at all? You know, boy,
1: you have to be so careful with that. And you, you don't want to necessarily buy into stereotypes either. You know, I think there's there's an easy fallback. Oh, on the factory floor, I can say, "Damn!" But you know, I'm thinking particularly of a factory in Southern Illinois, in the middle of the Bible Belt, mm-hmm. and that would not have gone over well. Oh no, yeah. So I think, unless you're sure, don't do it. I mean, if you're sure and you're confident and you're you're building that extra level of rapport or you want to demonstrate that you're serious or passionate about something like Mm -hmm. damn this is the third time the machine broke down
0: yeah yeah i think that's perfectly fine
1: right but it
0: it does need
1: to be you certainly don't want to be dropping the f-bomb and i think if you swear all the time it loses its impact oh it sure
0: does it sure does. You know, you're using it for emphasis or dramatic, dramatic function, right? You're not just kind of sprinkling it throughout just for this approachability. I mean, just like anything else, you you need to use it strategically. And and the bigger question is, does it does it fit your personal brand? Does it fit your company culture, or are you really standing out in an odd way that? This isn't you. It doesn't reflect you, nor does it fit into your organization's culture. It's, it's a big question. I, I also think
1: you need to look at your, your personal brand, your professional brand, and your role. You know, you're in a leadership role, so you're setting the tone. So right. if, if, if someone's, you know, whining or complaining about something as, as a leader, do you want to diffuse that? Do you want to say, hey, there's more to this than what you realize? So there's this piece of you do need to be sensitive to your role, to your own brand. And and I Mm -hmm. think the other piece of that is if someone has a lot of negative energy or someone is completely stressed or potentially overreacting or reacting to a situation, Maybe the best thing for you to do is to not model, to slow right. down, calm down, get them to cool down potentially, mm-hmm. or look at it from another perspective. You know, I think if if someone's ramped up or revved up, you may not want to model that. Oh, well, yeah. You may no. actually want to do the exact opposite. But, you know, it could be a peer that says, hey, I need a vent. That's one scenario. It could be a direct report coming to you. And that's an entirely different scenario. So, again, I think there there has to be that self-awareness, too. And, you know, when you're a leader, people look at you, they look at what you do, what you say, how you say it. They, they look at the courtesy you're giving to others. You know, for example, if you were giving a talk and I got up in the middle of it and walked away without any other data, what kind of message is that sending?
0: Right. You know, and that's the thing. I I think that leaders really outside of their own personal style need to be consistent. Yes. And so if you let your emotions drive your verbal communication and you let it eke out, whether that's yelling because you're stressed, crying because you're, you're overwhelmed, you know, that just shows this volatility and lack of self-control, even though these are very natural responses that, you know, can happen, especially in highly stressful situations. So, you know, the question goes back to, as, as a leader, Is crying acceptable? Is yelling acceptable? Is there some middle ground there? Or it's really a matter of what's the right context for those things if you do get to the point where you can't not let it out? You know, my personal
1: opinion, and and everybody's got a different take on this, and sometimes what works for person A is not what works for person B, But my personal take on this is you do need emotional self-discipline. And Mm -hmm. I believe the place for crying and yelling is not at the workplace. I mean, certainly, you know, there's a case for stop, don't put your hand in the energized machine. Right. Of course. yeah. You know, but I think, I think yelling at a coworker, screaming at a direct report, I do not think that is ever acceptable. And and I don't think it's a good idea to cry at work, whether you're male or female, particularly on a work-related issue. You know, if you're phenomenally frustrated with the new software system, do not sit at your desk and cry. You know, get up, walk away, go to the drinking fountain, work on a different project, find a way to diffuse that, or, you know, leave for lunch early and do it in your car. In in my opinion, as a woman in a male-dominated industry, I think crying at work would be disastrous.
0: I completely support that 500%. You know, if you think about who, just as a woman, it doesn't matter if they're male or female, who you admire as a leader and think about their verbal communication skills. What are the top five things you like? And I would probably guess that them pitching a fit or bawling their eyes out are not the things you admire. And so hence it's a they it doesn't mean that they don't do that at some point in their lives. They they probably likely do. It's a question of how and where they control that usage. And so I, I think it's looking at looking at your organizational leaders you admire and saying, how can I going back to a previous point is model them as the pinnacle of verbal communication exactly and certainly
1: we all have examples that we want to emulate yeah you know, i i worked for a gentleman who one of his classic phrases was help me understand when when mm-hmm. something didn't make sense or something was going awry or somebody was trying to pull a fast one his key phrase was help me understand and i loved it because he didn't launch into judgement and he got the rest of the story and it was very professional but it was not being a doormat not by any means but th- this gentleman keeps his cool so you think mm-hmm. about things like that and then you think of the customer that hangs up on people as part of a power play and you know you find the okay i want to be more like Phil and I want to be less like Bob. I, I think as we go down the path of our careers, we're going to see some best practices, and we're going to see some not so good practices. So mm-hmm. learn y- you can learn from those and pick your role models from a communication standpoint, and that's going to help you be better, stronger, more successful in in whatever path you're
0: on. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Well, you know, what other techniques or best practices do you think we should leave our audiences with here in regards to verbal communication in business?
1: I would end with what I I started out with in that it is always good to get feedback. The other trick I will share, which may be incredibly cheesy and uncomfortable, but when I do public speaking, I actually like to practice my speech either in front of the mirror or in front of a trusted friend or family member. First of all, I want them to time me and make sure that I'm respectful of whatever I've been allotted. And and this is more large group communications than interpersonal, you know, one-on-one small group communications. But I have found that if I make the time To practice my pitch, not just say, "Hey, look at my my PowerPoint deck," or "Hey, look at my notes," but "Hey, would you mind me practicing?" It's a little uncomfortable, but when you hear yourself do that, you can pick up on potential gaps in your presentation, or or your your trusted faux audience member can say, "Hey, I don't really understand that," or "Hey." what does that graphic really mean? Whatever the scenario may be, that idea of a dress rehearsal prior to giving a presentation to a large group is invaluable. So that would be my tip for the audience if they're doing a talk for a large group would be to mm-hmm. to to do a dry run. What about right. you? What's your tip, Andrea?
0: You know, along the lines of of kind of asking a friend for their opinion. I I think it's also important that if you feel like you need it, get professional coaching. Uh, There's nothing wrong with it via a mentor, whether that's something you purchase, whether you take an online course, do a, a Skype with someone. It doesn't really matter. But if there are things that you know you have, you have a lot of personal tics, you have a lot of likes and ums that you use as filler, Or you have some catchphrases that you stick with. I've been been made fun of because people say, I say, gotcha at the end of after listening to someone. And I consciously don't really think about it. But when they brought it to my attention, it helped me understand my behavior and then gave me the opportunity to speak to my mentor, get a coach and say, what other words or terms could I use instead of just gotcha? Each time, and it sounds kind of repetitive and redundant, and that I am checked out of the conversation. So I think it's invaluable whether it is in person, virtual, or even just by by reading a book. That's going to be a a great tool.
1: Absolutely, everybody can get better, and you know we really didn't talk about filler words or ticks. Whether it's a catchphrase that you use a lot or a filler word that you use a lot, we all remember making fun of the valley girls for the word like, that does go back to self-awareness and how you present yourself in the best possible manner. Because at the end of the day, we all want to put our best foot forward and good verbal communication is a tremendous part of that.
0: You know, it is. And, and I think we can look, we and our, our broader audience can look at those top, if you can think of even top two people that you think are fantastic orders, not only maybe in just a business conversation, how they elegantly go from one person to another or topic to another, all the way to presenters on a main stage, take those individuals and say, what are the things I like about them? And and what do I admire the most? And that's your starting point for how you can craft your own personal brand and verbal communication style. While still being true
1: to yourself, because you're the one that's picking that role model. And you do want to be true to yourself and put your own spin on what you are emulating. I won't say shamelessly right. copying, because a role model is just that. <laughs> it's something you aspire right. to. Um, right. And there I used a filler word. So our next podcast, (laughs) self-awareness, I caught myself by gosh. Our next podcast will be on actually communication skills from a physical standpoint, how you present yourself, body language, things like that. So I hope our audience will find value in that next month as part of the Riveting Exchanges podcast. And in the meantime, to all our listeners, we do welcome feedback. If anyone has topics they would like us to cover, questions or ideas, we certainly welcome that. You can get in touch with us at info at womenandmanufacturing.com. That's info at women and the whole word, mfg.com. And we certainly welcome input at Rivini Exchanges podcast. And in the meantime, I hope our listeners will be well until we chat with you next time.
0: Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to wampodcast.com. That's wampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in.